if you have a deadline, and this is a very important message to anybody who has deadlines, you've got to work with your lawyer. You cannot be sitting on any paperwork right this moment in history. You've got to try to get everything that's in your ball right to your lawyer so they can take action as they can. But know that USCIS is going to have some issues. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse, and Carrie is not here today because of the whole coronavirus thing. There's no preschool, so she's watching Faith, trying to keep her in quiet downstairs. I think they're doing kid yoga right now. And so if you hear some screaming in the background, that's just my four-year-old. Don't worry about it too much. My guest today is Tamina Watson. And Tamina, hi. How are you? Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So you're you're in Seattle right now? I am in Seattle, a.k.a. the epicenter. That's right. You're in like, <laughs> it's like the U.S. as well. It's not going to be for long if you've seen any of those photos of the beaches from Florida. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I can't, I can't believe those beaches <laughs> and those people. What are they thinking? I <laughs> can't believe those beaches. <laughs> the beaches. <All> right. <laughs> so first off, why don't we talk about who you are and what you do? Well, wonderful. Thank you again for having me. I am an immigration lawyer in Seattle. I practice primarily business immigration. That means people who are employing foreigners, people who are opening businesses and need visas for those, people who are investing in visa uh, businesses. And so business immigration is my primary practice, but I also help people with family immigration. That means people who are sponsoring their parents, spouses, children, and also citizenship. And it's been an interesting ride over the last three years. And that has led to starting a nonprofit, uh, which is sort of like my night job, if you like, which is providing volunteer immigration lawyers for detained immigrants. And so that's a that's a nonprofit that I have on the side, if you like. I do a lot of things and uh, sleep is overrated sometimes. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> So, you know, I have some more questions prepared also, but I wanted to kind of touch on that briefly because I, I was interviewing Ryan Hanley, who's an insurance agent. He's opening an agency and, and he's like a speaker for the insurance industry. And one thing that we talked about, we kind of talk a little bit about politics. We, we usually try to avoid, but mm-hmm. in his case, we just like totally dove into it 100%, which was well, brave. <laughs> but yeah. But one thing he said is that, you know, every time that there's there's an election, that whoever gets elected federally makes no difference to his life whatsoever. Interesting. But if you're in immigration, that's a totally different story, right? Oh, my goodness. I mean... I know that it completely affects my life being an immigrant myself, right? I'm not a U.S. citizen. I'm from Canada. I have a green card. I'm married a U.S. citizen. I originally came in on a free trade agreement visa, uh, which I had several of because I was working for Intel at the time. And I worked for Intel, Nike, a couple other companies that I had to get visas for. And right now, I mean, the decisions that the federal government makes have a direct impact on people in the immigration system. Right? Absolutely. And, you know, if people have tuned into my accent, I'm also an immigrant here. I moved here in 2005 from the United Kingdom, uh, where I was also a lawyer. And so immigration affects me through and through in my personal life as well as my professional life. And when the current president uh, was inaugurated that very week. People will remember it 
almost like 9-11, where were you when the travel ban was executed that fateful Friday afternoon? And it really does impact me day in, day out. I had a friend not so long ago say to me, oh, what to mean? I don't take it too personally because I get so passionate about all the things I'm doing and I, whichever way, which way I look, you know, a client and family business, uh, immigration or um, business immigration, everyone's affected in some way or another. And the community, I mean, I'm very much, I think of myself as a public servant without having public office because I'm in a position where my credentials, my experience, my network all helps me see things that people perhaps don't or connect people in ways that others cannot. So I'm seeing the community and I want to help them bringing all of the tools I can. And so when I see these new policies come in, not only is every client affected in one way or another, I absolutely see how the community is affected. So I can't get away from it. My poor husband, you know, he's a patent lawyer, but he gets to hear a lot about immigration <laughs> Unfortunately, I recently had an article come out on Scary Mummy, and I'll share that with you, Matt. But it's a little bit of a snapshot of what's happened over the last three years, because there's simply no getting away from immigration policies that come down. And they're very much, as you say, relevant to which administration is in office. Right. And we, we put that in the show notes. You can just send it to me after and we'll add it. And the show notes are going to be usually in your podcast player. There's show notes in there, and we'll also have them at com slash podcast. So I have a question, especially since you're in Seattle and the whole COVID-19 thing is on everybody's mind. Everybody's going mad, stocking up on toilet paper for some reason I don't understand. Um, but things have gone from bad to worse in Seattle as far as the coronavirus is concerned. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. Just everybody sure. should know we're not doctors or, you know, virologists or anything. So, you know. You know, I can, I can only tell you what I see. Right. What is the effect there on it and what's the effect on immigration? The immigration one is a much broader question and I'll come to that in a minute. But in, in Seattle, you know, it's practically a ghost town. I, I work in downtown Seattle and I always aim to get on the road by 7 a.m., drop my kids at, you know, pre-care of school and try to get on the road because I am afraid of traffic and how long it will take me. I'm like zipping through at the moment. Not that I'm coming in every day, but it's, uh, it's very interesting. It's basically a ghost town. There's a lot of fear, I'd say, a lot of uncertainty. Now it's all social media like you and your listeners are probably uh, seeing. But it's very eerie and it feels surreal. I mean, Pike Place Market, you know, I went there yesterday or the day before. I've never seen it so empty. You know, Pike Place Market is a world-renowned tourist destination or icon, and it's never been, you know, so empty. So it's very much having a profound effect. You know, our local politicians are amazing. Our governor is taking steps and has taken very strong leadership on the issue, as has the King County Executive, our Seattle mayor, and they're all working together. But I do want to give a big shout out to every single medical professional not only in Seattle, but around the country. But I have friends who are at the front lines of 
protecting people. And my heart goes out to every single one of them because their family members are my friends and everyone's stressed out. So these are trying times for sure. But the one thing we can do is stay home, wash our hands and make sure that we do mindfulness practices or yoga like your four-year-old is doing because these are the things that will help us stay sane while we're cooped up and you know, going to suffer cabin fever very soon if we haven't already. I saw something similar here. So my parents were visiting from Nova Scotia and they opted to go back early because Canada started closing borders. So we had to drive them to the airport and I drove the airport from where I live. Generally, it takes 45 minutes to an hour to get to the airport. And we got there in 26 minutes. Wow. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's just no cars on the road. I mean, I shouldn't say no cars, but there was very few and traffic around here. It's pretty limited. Uh, I had to make a run yesterday. I just went to donate some stuff to the Meals on Wheels people for deliveries and uh, stopped at the Starbucks to get drive through, delivered some coffees to the neighborhood. Wow. Uh, you know, everybody wants to help out a little bit, right? Where they can. And, yeah. Uh, so yeah. you're talking about Pike's Place. Isn't that where the first Starbucks was? It was. Yeah. And it still <laughs> is there, actually. It's still there. Yeah. I was up there a few years ago and, and I visited. What was heartwarming about the market, though, the fish, you, the, the iconic fish market, the one that is in the corner, uh, it was still open and they were still throwing fish, even though they didn't have a lot of, you know, eyes on them. But that would, that felt a little heartwarming. Well, they're, they're like a supplier, right? Aren't they supplying other places? Probably, probably. I don't really know. I'm guessing yes. I'm guessing yes. But on the, on the, on the immigration front, I mean, that's a whole different ball game. Department of Homeland Security has three agencies, just so you're listeners can understand how this works. The Department of Homeland Security has three agencies, the Customs and Border Protection, folks that you see at the airports and the land borders, Immigration Enforcement, that's ICE, and then uh, USCIS, that's United States Immigration Services. And each of these agencies have three different roles. ICE is the one that is picking people up and, you know, putting them in detention and so forth. CBP, as you know, are the people at the border just guarding our borders. And USCIS is the agency that are, you know, various parts of the country in different offices. And they are giving these visa approvals and benefits and so forth, asylum, if you like. So if you had ever had to file your TN within the US, it would have gone to USCIS. Whereas if you were going to the border, the CBP folks would have done a stamp in your passport. So each have a different role. Now, each of these different roles are having different issues when it comes to COVID-19. So let's start with the travel ban. Obviously, we're about, you know, 10 days to two weeks behind Italy. And of course, we have an administration that hasn't shown strong leadership as has been necessary. So there is now a travel ban in place for Europe, from Europeans from coming into the US. But it does allow, and if anybody's interested, the White House has a list, uh, a proclamation that lists who is allowed to come back into the US. So one of the the things that we've seen uh, calls coming in, hey, my niece is stuck outside the country, my sister's stuck outside the country. Oh, I'm stuck outside the country. How do I come back in? And so the list tells you that even though Europeans can't come in, if you, a US citizen, are stuck outside the country, you can come back in. And in fact, if you are outside the country and you are listening to Matt's podcast, I would suggest that you try to come back sooner rather than later, because this is a fluid situation 
situation. We don't know when all borders could be shut down because this is absolutely growing exponentially. And particularly when you see the pictures of Florida beaches, you know, you know, we don't know what's coming. So go to that list. And just a quick rundown, if you're a U.S. citizen or a green card holder, if you're a visa holder, you can come back into the U.S. But go to that list, especially, you know, if you're going to have a baby tomorrow and you want your mom to come in, you know, that's another call we've gotten you know, with stress, like, oh, my mom, my mom's supposed to come from Europe. And what am I going to do? So there are some exceptions to the travel ban. Now with Canada, Matt, you might know just this week earlier, Canada's been shut down its borders uh, to various countries. But, you know, U.S. citizens are still allowed to come in and out, although only essential traveling. Yeah, and they're temperature testing people at the border for fever, yeah. That's right. That's happening in Europe too, actually. My sister was in Paris and she was going back to London and um, she was tested for that too. So I think I think that's a good thing to do for sure. Uh, So that's what CBP is handling with the Department of State as well, you know. But in terms of Department of State, so Department of State is a different agency from DHS, Department of Homeland Security. And under the Department of State purview are all the embassies. Embassies around the, the world are essentially guided by the rules that the Department of State put in place. And they also take directions from the White House and all the foreign policies that are issued. And so currently, embassies are canceling their interviews. Now, what does that mean for people who are waiting for interviews. Often people have been waiting for decades to get interviews for immigrant visas, say siblings, for example. There are various categories of relationships. And the closer you are to bullseye, if you like, you're you're a spouse, the quicker you are to get a green card. But the the further you are in the relationship or the bullseye comparison I can give, it's going to take longer. All of those interviews are being cancelled. And now interviews, just to so people know what they are, the, those interviews are for basically security so that they can make sure that people are related and they're not a danger and that kind of stuff, right? That's that the idea behind the interviews? That's correct, yes, and more. So they look at two things. They look at whether the relationship is real. So they're looking at the merits of the case sometimes, but sometimes they're, they're, they're mostly looking at the individual and their eligibility. You know, do you have a criminal conviction? Have you ever violated U.S. immigration laws in the past? Is there something about you that's iffy? You know, they're looking at various things about you as an individual. And before COVID-19 became the biggest concern, just on February 24th, our immigration concerns were something called public charge. You know, it's it's been on the books for a while that it was going to be implemented. And recently, the White House frogged over these federal courts that were keeping them in abeyance. But the Supreme Court said, OK, yes, you know, White House, we, we let you go and implement public charge. And that's a complete different ballgame where when they're looking at you as an individual, not only are they looking at whether you have a criminal conviction or immigration violations, now they're seeing whether you are going to be um, taking public benefits when you come to the U.S., not immediately, but any time in your lifetime. So that burden has shot up so high that a lot of people are just not going to meet it. And so while we have that to grapple with, and most immigration lawyers are still wrapping their heads around it, here we are with COVID-19. And so, you know, 2020 has started off 
with a bang where, you know, you previously asked me my life. It really is intertwined with what's happening in, in immigration. If you can cast your memories back to January 2020, the very first weekend, we had the American Iranians detained at the Canadian border. That chaos had continued for a while. And then came the travel ban for Africa. And now we have, you know, the public charge. And now we have COVID-19 putting a different wrench in it all together. Now, on the U.S. front, when it comes to immigration, the USCIS has offices all around the country. And at these offices, there are interviews that we just talked about where they're, you know, assessing the relationship. And many of your listeners might have seen this. I personally had gone through it to get my green card when I got married to my husband. And maybe you've seen it. These interviews are happening every day and they have all been canceled at this point. Um, all, most of them, actually, and all offices have different effective dates, but they're going to be closing at least until early April. Uh, we have an interview scheduled on April 1, and we just got notice yesterday that it was cancelled. But these interviews are not just for green cards. They're for asylum seekers. And we can talk about asylum seekers in just a moment, but asylum seekers wait forever to get their interviews. And so that's one aspect of what happens with these interviews, citizenship interviews, other types of interviews. They're all being cancelled. So there's a huge disruption on just what's happening at these offices. The other thing that happens at these offices are fingerprinting. So anybody who is waiting for a pending application, whether it's for a work permit, a travel permit, a green card, you name it, there are fingerprint appointments involved with all of these things. Those are being canceled. So anybody with a case right this moment should expect it to prolong in the coming days. And who knows what will happen because this year is an unknown at this point. Yeah, they call it biometrics when I had to do mine and they have to go and they take like retina scans and full hand fingerprinting and it's, that's right it's pretty involved and, and right. I had to wait almost six months to get mine and that was when there wasn't anything going on that's right that's right so chaos is you know awaiting in ways that we can't even imagine now let's talk about and so then USCIS the offices that are around the country there is California Service Center primarily Vermont Service Center there's Nebraska Service Center Texas Service Center there are service centers that are if you like an image they're factories uh, for immigration if you like and they're just taking all these applications and they're putting them in buckets and they're assessing them and adjudicating them and so work visas applications are sent to these service centers. And now we don't know how long they will be open. If anything, they shouldn't be open, frankly. But there is no guidance on what we should do with these applications. There are many deadlines involved. You told us that you had a TN visa in the past. That's a non-immigrant visa. And there's always an expiration date to that. And whatever you do, you cannot be here beyond that expiration date without taking action, either to renew it or to change it to something else. And there are very strict about those deadlines. Now, if those deadlines fall between now and while this virus restriction goes on, that's posing a lot of challenges. You know, as a practitioner where we are now doing remote work and we're staggering our team members 
Is FedEx going to be delivering in the near future? You know, we don't know. If you have a deadline, and this is a very important message to anybody who has deadlines, you've got to work with your lawyer. You cannot be sitting on any paperwork right this moment in history. You've got to try to get everything that's in your ball right to your lawyer so they can take action as they can. But know that USCIS is going to have some issues. In an ideal world, I would love USCIS to say, hey, all deadlines are extended for three months. And if you have a status expiring, you're going to have forgiveness. But they have not said that. And therefore, you as an immigrant, if you're listening, you cannot take a back seat. You've got to take steps for that. So that's a that's an issue that I am grappling with at the moment. And one of those visas is something called an H-1B visa. H-1B visa is the most popular. And that's what most companies are using to have workers come over in their the H-1B is a lottery too, right? So there's only a certain amount that are sent. That's right. So that's, I think, most of the people who are listening, if they do have foreign workers, they're probably on an H-1B. That's right. That's exactly right. It's a, it's called a specialty occupation work visa, meaning that you must have a degree at a minimum to do the job that requires that particular degree. And that's a separate conversation for another time because this administration has questioned that very much. But in terms of timelines for those, this year, talking about changes, now actually I just remembered I should ch- send another article to you that just came out in the Puget Sound Business Journal that I wrote that lists all the changes that are coming with this particular visa category. And it's a once a year application for those who don't have it. It's like a lottery, as you mentioned, and you have to put yourself in that lottery. The employer does it. And that process just changed and the window actually closes on March 20th, which is today. Today's March 20th. Tomorrow is March 20th. Tomorrow. I'm sort of, it's a life is a blur at the moment. (laughs) And so that window closes and that has had a lot of glitches and issues, conversation for another time. But the window for that, the lottery is supposed to be revealed, quote unquote, revealed on April 1. Do we know whether COVID-19 will affect that lottery revelation? Who is going to be selected and who isn't? We don't know. We hope they will. I mean, people need to get on top, just like you were saying about the paperwork and stuff. People need to get on top of it right away. And I have kind of a quick aside about that is one time. So my TN visas were for a year at a time. So that was the maximum. So everybody always gets the maximum. And one time I renewed it for another year and it took them 14 months to send me the approval for my one year visa. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I had actually already worked through the entire time, left and started another job and had another visa before they sent me the renewal for the previous job I had. (laughs) Sometimes it's ridiculous. That was in the good old days. I know. Yeah, you don't get that anymore. When this administration came into office, processing times have doubled and tripled. And so it really has a very immediate and profound effect on people's lives. If you had a spouse on a dependent visa, they probably wouldn't have been able to work without that approval. And so there are many ramifications that are unseen and not discussed enough, actually, but a conversation for another time. But coming back to the lottery, if this administration is able to conduct the lottery on April 1, which we hope because it's all electronic and we hope, you know, even if they send their teams at home, they will be able to conduct that. Then anybody who's selected will have 90 days to file their cases. 90 days 
at this point seems very blurry in what's going to happen. Are they going to have a complete shutdown? Are they going to have a shelter in place like California is having? Are they going to have a shutdown like Italy? We really don't know. And so USCIS has to provide leadership and take a, a merciful view in what to do. And we haven't seen it. So for your listeners and anybody who's an immigrant, it's very important to maybe call your congressional representatives and tell them to tell DHS folks that you've got to take action immediately because the steps that are going to be necessary will not be met. So lots of challenges, lots of challenges, and they're coming up every day. The other thing that's happened and I think it will happen more and more as we go into this sort of uncertain period. Employers are not able to keep their businesses open. And when we talk about a TN visa, an H-1B visa or any other work visa, if you are not working, you are out of status, effectively illegal. And so what can you do for that? So the questions that we're seeing is, hey, if I take unemployment, is that going to be public charge? Public charge is just this thing that is eating away at every aspect of immigration. But it wasn't foreseen that COVID-19 will have an aspect on business immigration. And so that's coming up. And what's going to happen to these businesses that can't keep their employees? And so a quick couple of suggestions just to throw out there. You know, again, this is not legal advice. Anybody who is affected should talk to their own lawyers. But a couple of options could be that if you're on an H-1B and you're on a full-time H-1B, maybe you talk to your employer and say, hey, can you amend my H-1B to a part-time one? It is allowed, and that could be a potential solution. There are links out there, and I'll maybe I'll send that to you too. USEIS says these are the comprehensive list of benefits that will not be considered public charge. So the Family Leave Act, for example, will not be part of public charge. So it might be that some people will take leave. But it's going to be a very trying time. And if there are questions that come up, I'd love to hear from you because, you know, these are novel questions. Some of this will need legal research. Some of them will need strategic lawyering, but you can't sit back and say, well, I'll wait and see what happens. That's the luxury you don't have. I have a question for you about that. So as an immigration lawyer, are you licensed to work in anywhere in the United States or just in Washington or certain states? Such a great question. You know, immigration law is a federal issue. And so I can be a lawyer representing anybody anywhere in the country practicing. For, but when it comes to criminal law, for example, that's a state specific law. And if I were to do that, I would only be, you know, limited in, in Washington state. And you're obviously open for business because you're driving to work at 7 a.m. with nobody on the road, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying, you know, because I didn't have to take my kids to school today. I'm like, hey, I'm out of here. This is your stuff to do. I've got a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old and different challenges, man. I just, uh, you know. I know. I've been spending most of my days now talking people off the ledge, you know, talking to our business clients and stuff and trying to figure out where the opportunities are for them to make revenue to keep their business open. And in a couple of cases, we actually have some customers who are doing better now. And that's, you know, maybe a topic for another podcast, but it's kind of related to people who already do food delivery through e-commerce uh, and stuff like that. So they're fantastic. booming, right? So there is some industries that are not dying. I know that doesn't help if you're going broke, but that was so... Immigrants, a lot of times, too, are affected more by economic downturns because, I mean, not if you're an H-1B, you know, for usually, but, you know, there's a lot of people who are immigrants who are working 
in, you know, lower paying jobs or jobs that get layoffs more frequently and stuff like that. Right. So yes, their income is, is a little more, I don't know what you call it. I was going to say flexible, but it's not the right word because it's not flexible in the way you'd want it to be flexible. That risk, I guess, might be a better. Yeah. You know, immigrants have a lot of challenges. Well, what I will say is I was actually sharing this story with my team earlier this week, because when that question came along, hey, my employer just cannot keep me on and is public charge going to be a problem if I now claim unemployment? Uh, It took me back to 2008, 2009. I had just started my practice. I started my own office January 1, 2009. And if you cast your memory back to that time, that was the height of the recession then. And what I was doing at the time is making sure people were maintaining status at the time. And in fact, I'll share that article with you too, because it may well be useful. It's a 2009 article, but 11 years later, boy, you know, as I'm talking to you, I'm remembering all these things I've written. I think it might be useful because again, if you're not maintaining status, and of course there wasn't a COVID-19 that should allow some you know, mercy. We don't know what's going to happen now, but I, I think that article is still true for today and I'll send it to you. Sure. And we'll put that in the show notes. And Tamina, I don't mean to cut it short, but we are out of time because I have another interview coming up in one minute. Of course. Thank you so much. So we will talk a little more uh, offline and then I'll put that information in the show notes and we will try and get this out as soon as possible so that employers and people with immigration visas can figure out the things that they need to do as quickly as they can. And I really appreciate your knowledge and your expertise here. Thank you so much, Matt. Stay safe and hopefully we'll speak again some other time. Bye-bye. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week when we talk about the publicity sales funnel system with Josh Elledge. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.